Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. All of you, you're here in person. I think we have a couple folks uh, over on the patio, and I'm sure we have some folks with us on Zoom. Um, good morning, everyone. If I haven't, oh, thank you. Wow, you like said it back to me. That was kind of cool. Um, if you haven't had a chance to meet you, meet me yet, because uh, I know I did have a chance to meet some people where this is your first time or maybe your second time, just as we were all coming in. My name is Brenna Rubio, and I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, uh, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And uh, one of the things that anybody who knows me knows that I like to call out the elephants in the room, right? It just really bothers me, like when there's there's things happening, like, and, and we're not just naming it. And so as we start this morning, I just, uh, I feel like I wanna name for everyone in the room that it's been a tough week. There have been some things happening and we'll talk even more about it uh, when the kids have gone to their spaces. But I just wanna say, I, I know that in this room, there are people who are coming in with some real pain and questions about what's going on in our world. And there are others of us where, well, maybe it didn't hit you as much, but you know how it's affected your friends and you wanna hold space for them. And so even as, as Stephen and Amy started to create a little bit of a, a holy space for us this morning where we get to come and we get to be full people because you know sometimes we're just making it through the week, right? We got stuff to do. We can't pay so much attention to our hearts. This morning, we get to pay attention to our hearts. This is a safe space for that. And so I wanna invite us just for a minute, just to, to breathe together. Maybe close your eyes if you want to. This is for you folks on Zoom as well. Just check in with yourself, just how you're doing. If you have some of those just tired or sad or angry spaces, where are you feeling that in your body? Or maybe how are you feeling it for your friends? Some of us just, we wanna help create this space. We want our friends this morning to know that we are with them. We wanna hold space for them. few more breaths to pay attention and to know that God is here in all of it. God, you are the one that we've been waiting for. And sometimes that renewal that we talk about every week feels really far off but we're here. Thank you for being with us. Amen. Oh, thank you for giving me that minute, giving all of us that minute. We do love our kids and we love it. Sometimes you just stay with us, but a lot of times we invite you kids. You can go off and have your own story and play and crafting time. Don't go quite yet because we need to pray for you first. We need to pray for you first. And our friend Ming, who I don't think I've had a chance to say hello to, would you guys say hello to Ming? 
Yeah. Ming's going to come up and pray for our kids. And then, kids, it will be the time you will go off and enjoy. Hi. God, we pray for all the children here and the youth. And we pray that you would guide them and lead them today as they go into their um, children's uh, service. And in the playground, would you protect their safety and their growth as they learn about you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Ming. Okay, kids and youth are also going out today, and you're going to be back in the cafeteria with Amy and Raylene. So any kids who'd like to go off for stories, et cetera, any middle school to high schoolers who want to have some time this morning with our developing youth group, which is kind of fun. You want this side? Hey, would you say good morning as well to our friend Bill White? Hi. Happy birthday. Woo, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Thank you. Yeah, this guy got one year older yesterday. Um, if you're new to City Church, we do this weird thing where we co-preach pretty frequently. Uh, and so instead of just one person standing up and giving ideas, um, we like to preach together and, you know, sometimes disagree with each other a little bit or different perspectives. And the hope is that you guys get to, as, as we're doing this, kind of have a picture of where your own thoughts and perspectives and stories might fit in as well. Um, so, whew, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, some of you may know last week we had a kind of a special Sunday where we were celebrating 10 years that City Church has, has made it thus far yeah thank you for all of you came out and celebrated with us then but for the next few weeks we thought we would take a little bit of time and and think about power series we're calling true power because it's one of these questions i think we have a lot of the times how is god how is god working at the in the world especially when the world just seems so messy Sometimes it just, I was, I was participating online in this uh, pastor's conference this last week. And the overall theme so often as people came up, like before they could say anything else, they just had to say like, using words that I'm not necessarily gonna repeat verbatim here, basically saying, wow, this world is a messed up place. They used, they used other words. Like darn. Darn, gosh, dang it. Yes, words like that. Um, and, and that's just in the backdrop, I think, as we start this sermon this morning, as we start this conversation together, is how do we understand a powerful God and the way our world is? How do we do that? It feels really complicated sometimes. And and part of that, maybe partly about some of the stories that we've been told along the way about who God is, and some of the oversimplifications that we've been taught along the way about who God is. This morning, or this week, as people have been processing out loud, particularly, you know, online, how to understand the gun violence that has happened in this last week, gun violence that has particularly impacted various communities of color. And thinking, how do we understand the horrific video evidence 
of what happened to Tyree Nichols. How do we understand all of this? And you can start to hear some of these stories play out with people like, oh, you know, it, it was this and it was that and his choices, but what about the institution? And, 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 and oh, but if it was within the community itself, how can you call that racialized violence? How is, how is racism a factor? Like these stories, right? That are oversimplifications Particularly, a lot of times, one of the, those oversimplification, they often come in the form of binaries, right? That a lot of us have been taught certain binaries about how the world works, about how God works. There's a, a white guy, theologian, uh, whose book I really appreciated thinking about the impacts of racism on the church, and then, of course, how the church has affected all of the rest of culture. How the racism embedded in so much of the American church has perpetuated and helped to institutionalize the racism that we're all still grappling with today. And he puts it like this. After the South lost the Civil War, slavery was abolished, but slaveholder religion, which really is the root that evangelicalism as we know it grew out of, slaveholder religion never went away. It never repented and it is with us still. One pattern of slaveholder religion is to separate personal faith from political engagement. If you're not gonna fight for white hegemony, slaveholder religion would like you to stay focused on personal piety and compassion ministries to not be too political. So let's unpack that a little bit. Some of the binaries that were involved in that and saying slaveholder religion is saying, let's not be too concerned about bodies and how we treat actual bodies, women's bodies, brown bodies, black bodies, LGBTQ bodies. Let's not worry about that because we're gonna say souls. We're gonna pit them against each other. Like, like we're not one thing. Like I'm not both body and soul. Like you're not both body and soul. Let's separate and say the body doesn't really matter. It's just your soul. Because it's just your soul. What matters is, you know, personal salvation and how you're living into some moral code. And, and you know, if we do something that cares about bodies, like let's say like a food pantry, we're probably gonna, cause that's not what's really important. We're gonna make you listen to like a sermon before you get the food, right? Like that's what that kind of binary says. And when violence happens, it's not about institutionalized evil. It's not about how we've learned and sort of codified how we're gonna treat each other, how we've set up systems of oppression. It's about personal choices personal morality, not collective. Somebody who is social justice oriented is not thinking about the true gospel. Those are the binaries that we set up, that so much of our religion has set up. Binaries are kind of a trap, right? 
Because it is possible to not just say either or, but to say both and. I'm both. You're both. You're a body and you're a soul. And they both matter. They both deserve honor, dignity, safety. Our personal choices matter. And systems are real. Right? And they shape quite a few of our choices. Binaries can help us start a conversation. Children usually start in the world of binaries, right? We need those broad categories just to kind of start figuring some things out. But to stay there when we're adults is childish. As adults, we start to embrace the messiness of the world. We start to engage harder, more nuanced conversations. Sure, we're, we're going to slip sometimes into those cognitive shortcuts, but we should be able to pull out of them and say, no, I'm making God too small. I'm making faith too small, spirituality too small. The world is more complicated than that. So as we start talking about these things, as we start talking today about a particular binary uh, that the church has slipped into so often about God and let me just tell you, I just heard the collective breath in this room. That's good. Breathe it out. That was heavy. It's good. I got it. You're probably feeling this somewhere. As we go into this conversation, it's this whole sermon, this whole conversation is not going to be necessarily about gun violence or about racialized violence. But it's not not about that either, right? You know what I mean? It matters. It's all wrapped up together as we ask these questions about what it means that God is powerful. What does that actually look like in a world like ours that, gosh dang it, is kind of messed up? I'm supposed to like follow what she was just talking about. I'm like, oh my gosh, how, like, how do you like, I just want to sort of sit for a while and ponder that. Take a moment. Yeah. All right, we're going to. We're actually going to stand for that in just a oh, moment because right. we're going to listen to scripture. Our that's friend true. Tomu um, is going to come up. Welcome Tomu with me. He's going to read scripture for us. We do invite you to stand for the reading of scripture. Tomu, that's, you decide you where you're comfortable. Move um, those bodies. But as he starts, I also want to tell you a little bit about Tomu. Here, Tomu. Uh, he is one of our leaders. He is on our connection team, um, which in some churches is would be called a deacon, but we like to say our connection team. And we laugh all the time that one of Tomu's many spiritual gifts is having a truck. <laughs> and so. not speaking in public. <laughs> but this, so this, yeah, this is a step of bravery that we really appreciate. So, thank Tomu. You. Good morning. Good morning, Zoom. Uh, Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says, the one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place but also with the one who is contrite and lonely in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You may be Thank seated. you, Tomu. So as we think about this idea of God being powerful, uh, we're going to think about this over the next few weeks. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about does God heal? What do we do with the people who have been healed? What do we do with the people who haven't been healed? Uh, we'll be talking about God's 
care for the poor uh, the following week and how God uses power the following week. We're, we're trying to really wrestle with some of these ideas because it actually matters. And, and so many times our, our, our church experience has split out God and oversimplified. And so today we're just going to, this is sort of an intro passage, an intro sermon into this idea of like maybe there's more nuance to who God is than perhaps some of us have been taught. And so in this passage, Isaiah is really speaking on behalf of God, or God has given Isaiah some words, or Isaiah's had an experience with God and is now sort of pronouncing that to folks. And as Isaiah does that, God says, my power shows up in different ways. My, my power shows up in the sense of being transcendent and being imminent. Right? God as being other and God as being near. So I, this is very simple, but we're just going to unpack it here in, in, in this in these verses. So in verse 15, like God says, like, hey, this is the high and high and holy one, the high and exalted one, right? The transcendent God, the big God, omnipotent, all-knowing, all this, right? And it says, I live in a high and holy place. High. Holy is like separate, like pure, that that sort of stuff right? So that, that's where I live. I live forever, right? That's, that's not mortal. That's not you and me, mm-hmm. right? My name is holy. I, I, like this, again, a sense of like, God is different than us. We are not God. God is totally other. And so many times in Scripture, when we see, when we encounter this God, people fall down, people start shaking, start crying. People become very aware of how small they are because God is so big, Mm -hmm. so awesome. And Scripture time and time again speaks to this as this is who God is. And in the same sentence, this high and holy God who lives forever, the exalted one, says this, but I'm also the one who is with the contrite and lowly in spirit. I I live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Like God is saying, this is where I live. I live here and I live here, right here, with the lowly, the broken, the sinful, the, the, the bad word up type people, right? Us. God is saying, I'm, I'm on the ground. And so God is imminent. Imminent meaning fully present to you and me, fully accessible, someone you could talk to, someone that you can feel, someone you could even hear from and know 
and maybe even love and not just fear and not just worship. In the same verse, God is saying, hey, I understand the binary. I got both covered. <laughs> and we see this. This is, not, this is not some random verse from some random passage in Scripture. You can go all the way from beginning to end, literally first chapter to last chapter, and see these themes just get played out all the time. So in creation, right, at the beginning, God throws the stars into space. You know, the Spirit is hovering over the chaos in, in verse 1. But then we see God walking with humanity in a garden, toes in the dirt. A very present God, a God who is transcendent, who creates, and a God who is present and walks with. We see it again, I mean, all the time in the, in the stories about who Jesus is. So you, you look like at the Gospel of John, and it, it starts off with this, and says, through the Word, which is, you know, it's talking about who Jesus is, Jesus being with God. Through the Word, all things were made. Creator, Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. And then a few verses down, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Right here, one person translated, you know, the, the word, the message took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. There's this picture that, that sure, there's a binary, God is high and holy, and God is as near and present, and God's saying, I lay claim to both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we start to realize, I mean, this is a classic. I feel like, you know, and I'm one of those, I was kind of raised in the church and whatever, but I'm like, yeah, this is such a classic passage saying that God is both and it's everywhere. But for so many of us, when we're talking, if you have any churchy type experience or you've just been exposed through culture, that may not be what it's felt like right? That that may not be what you've actually experienced, emphasized. And for most of us who have that kind of church exposure of some time, of some type, it's the high and holy God who we have tended to experience being emphasized, the God who we worship. And that's not bad. But what about the God who's like right here, with us. So there's a, kind of a classic story in the New Testament that I think has shaped a lot of how we think spiritual experiences work. Um, and there's a particular way that we hear it. And then there's the other filter that we could, oh, wait, that's there too. Um, how many of you are familiar with Paul? He's a little bit of a dicey figure. Yeah. Anyone want to admit that? Yeah, I don't like Paul. Yeah, that, those feelings are real. So he wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, and maybe some other people wrote in his voice other chunks of the New Testament, right? And there's some, you know, interesting passages you got to dig through and work through. And um, okay, or, but he's or, or throw out sometimes. Maybe some people throw them out. Yeah, right. Sometimes or, they do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so he's an interesting guy, right? But obviously, 
he was influential. He, he had a big experience with God. And because of that, did a lot of things and wrote a lot of letters. And um, so Paul, this is his origin story. And this happens, or we hear about it in Acts 22. About noon, as I, Paul, came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, that was his name then, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. It's this Saul on the road to Damascus experience that lots of people will point to as like, this is how God works in our life. This kind of great giant miraculous voice from way up here in heaven who casts us to the earth in repentance. And because of that experience, our lives are changed and we're just, we're transformed. Everything is different and, and it's this, oh. And so, I mean, there'll be people, maybe not so much around here, right? But we'll feel like I, I have no story to share about my life with God because I've never had the blinding flash of light, right? I've never been cast to the ground and had my life just like changed in an instant. And some people have, and we honor that, but many of us, we just haven't. And so how do we understand? Here are a few of the other dynamics that are happening here. When we read the story a particular way, one is that we emphasize God as light, right? God is like this mysterious, miraculous, overwhelming presence. It feels really far off. And whose purpose seems to be to throw us into the dirt and help us see how broken we are. Now, there may be some truth there, right? Like, yeah, God is different than us. And I personally experience my brokenness every day, right? Every day, I get fresh evidence that I do not have it all together. <laughs> A lot of times before you even get out of bed, it's there. It's always with me. <laughs> but is that all God is to me? If we focus too much on this, like if, if this is all we read it as, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm overwhelmed by my sense of my brokenness, and I maybe lose sight of my belovedness. That God also made me good. That I am a beautiful reflection of the Imago Dei. And that God is actually not just a distant judge ready to throw me to the ground. He's a gentle Jesus who wants to come and pick me up. And I also maybe lose sight of the sight of the ways that transformation is often not the big blinding flash of light moment. Transformation is often the slow and steady work of change, small insights, little apologies, sitting down with people for a cup of coffee, taking out the trash when I really don't want to. That's all transformation too. Because you notice the piece of the story that we're losing when we focus on the big flash of light? It's how Jesus answers and says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. I'm Jesus. You remember who walked among you, who suffered, 
who was flesh and blood, who just had meals with people and touched them. We forget that part, and it really matters. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus is saying, I am with those. I identify as those who are experiencing violence. That's what Paul's doing. Paul is, is being violent towards people, dragging them off to prison, even putting people to death. And Jesus is saying, you're persecuting me. You're putting me to death. You're putting me in prison. Jesus is saying, I am so, not just so high and holy, I am so imminent, so present, that I am with every victim of gun violence, of police brutality. That's me. And somehow we have to have both. The God who is high and holy and the God who is near and even, even broken, right? And for, for those of us in the, in the church world, so many of us, and I have this conversation all the time with people, and I have it with myself. It's like, God, I need you to show up. Come on, I need a miracle. Right? I mean, anyone here ever just like, please, one miracle this afternoon? Just, I mean, I mean, how many of us have prayed that already today? Like, we just, you've got to come through. And, and God does come through, and that is who God is. God is a miracle-working God. The challenge is, again, like just what Brennan is saying, is when, that's, when we grew up with that, we think that's all who God is. Um, there's a, a, a book that I appreciate um, called The Skeptical Believer, and the author writes this. He writes, there's simply a, a numbing quality to the everyday ordinary, the chug, chug, chug of day after day, task after task, routine after routine. Spiritual highs happen along from time to time, but they quickly disappear into that bottomless pit we call the past. One of the problems with great worship experiences and other encounters with God is that you don't die right after they're over. You have to go to the parking lot. And I assume, you know, listening to me and maybe Brenna is a truly great, you know, spiritual experience for you, right? Right, I mean, this is probably the highlight of your life, but you're gonna have to go to the parking lot and realize, well, Darn. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. Just laugh. That's fine. Just laugh at me. Um, but all of us, right? That's our, like, and it's great to worship the high and holy God. But man, you're still going to have to go to the parking lot. You're going to still have to deal with the news and with paying your bills and with whatever, you know, all the stuff. And if God's not there too, oh man, we miss out. We miss out. Um, so I'm gonna, 
I'm going to take us on a, a very brief little exercise. And it, it's, it's kind of a visual audio, audio exercise of, of, of imagining God in the ordinary. And I'm going to do it. We're just going to read a poem very simply. And you're going to see like, oh, could I get there? Could I get there? This is by Leighton Williams-Burks. I asked God for a miracle. She didn't answer. But the sun came up this morning and for want of better options, I've decided that will do. Hmm. Will that do for you today? Will you meet God in the ordinary? That may be all the invitation that you need this morning. That may be the word for you. Can I meet God? in the ordinary. Will that do it? For some of us though, we've been doing that for a long time because way back when we were so turned off by that overemphasis on the God of miracles, this God who sometimes it's almost like it's like the vending machine God where we hope if we just do that right thing, you know, we we get down here in the dirt low enough that God will like deign to give us what we want, to intervene. And we got sick of begging to that picture we had of God. And so we've, we've ditched the miracles. We've actually landed on this side of like, yeah, Jesus lowly among us. And uh, nobody talked to me about miracles. I think that makes a lot of sense. I get where that is coming from as well, because it was hard and it was painful and that was all we heard. And we just have this natural human tendency, sort of like when we've been on one side of the either or, it's like the pendulum swing, woo, over here to the other side. But again, now we're being actually still trapped in the binary. We haven't actually left the binary, which is to say, what if I can be open to God being both with me in the ordinary and also sometimes probably really surprisingly amazing? Can I be open still to God may surprise me? Can I maintain that little bit of, of just hope but even in all the mess and the brokenness that God might, might really do something. So I'm gonna to try to tell you a story. This is a try. Because it's actually an unfolding story uh, in the life of a friend of mine. And so I got his permission to share the story, but we both agreed that it was important that I really try to maintain anonymity. So 
may have a few less details than I would normally share, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I was, I was sitting eating some lunch. I was, well, maybe I was standing, whatever. It was like a lunchtime, and I'm, I'm talking with this friend. What details can I give you and still maintain anonymity? My friend has had some real struggles with the church in his life. He, he's actually part of City Church. Uh, we may not see him a lot like on Sunday mornings, but you know, City Church is more than Sunday mornings. And this is his church, and we love him. Um, but the church broadly in his life has been pretty hurtful um, because he came out as gay. He, he got married to a man. Uh, and his family, particularly, a very religious family, really struggled with this. In fact, so much so uh, that at a certain point, there's just a, a break in the relationship. You can't, you can't be around each other anymore because for my friend, he was just feeling so disrespected and not accepted that he was going to have to pull back from family relationships. So what happened though, and again, unfolding story, but one day a friend of his came to him and said, I have something really strange and awkward and potentially triggering to tell you. He said, okay. And the friend said, unexpectedly, through no, you know, kind of control of my own, I've been put into this sort of professional relationship with a member of your family. And I know it's a member of your family. They don't know you, I know you. So I'm kind of mad for you at this person. And yet I sort of have to maintain this professional relationship and they actually have a little power in this relationship. Meanwhile, this again, this is still the friend speaking. Part of this professional relationship involves one of my children who is queer. And now I know something about, again, this, this family member of yours and, and, and how they have interacted with queer people. And I've just been holding all this. I'm not exactly sure what to do. So far, your family member is doing okay with my child. And they know that I'm a person of faith. And we're just, we're just kind of living in this tension. And I kind of think at some point they may figure out this other connection that we have. But I just want to let you know this is happening and it's just awkward. And I, I don't know exactly what to do with it, but I love you. And how weird that I've been placed in this relationship. And uh, so my friend who, you know, is receiving this from his friend, he was, you know, initially like, he said, you know, he started crying initially as his friend was talking. But it did, it was just like, <gasps> but then very quickly, as his friend kept talking, he started making these connections and he started wondering some things. And he looked at his friend and said, I've been having dreams about my family member and about reconciliation. And this has been years, it's been years. I've been having dreams. I don't know what's going on, but 
what if God arranged this? If there's anything you can do to help, you know, like, what if, what if? And uh, they said, this is an unfinished story. I'm not gonna tell you a miracle happened in this story, but the faith of my friend to say, in the midst of again, like the church, I'm, again, I'm tempted to say words that I'm not saying right now, but what the church has done in his life, right? But the faith to say, maybe God is doing something. Maybe God would surprise me. Maybe God could be working towards healing by putting this weird, awkward connection between my friend and my family member who's, who's hurt me. I was just impressed by his faith. It, it spoke to me. Do I have that kind of faith to believe that even in really hurtful circumstances, God could be moving? I'm not saying he, that God is. Don't know that. Unfinished story. But maybe. There's an old spiritual writer, Frederick Buchner. Um, he wrote this quote that I, I just want to end with today. It says, faith in God is less apt to proceed from miracles than miracles from faith in God. Let's listen to it one more time. Faith in God is less apt to proceed from miracles, the Saul experience, than miracles from faith in God. My friends, hopefulness and willing to believe, willingness to believe that God could how do we live in the both and? Our friend Serena 